Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the latest uh, episode of the Ball and Chain podcast, the 35th episode to be precise. I am your uh, lovable host, Mark Thomas, coming to you uh, from always gorgeous and sunny, uh, always gorgeous and 85 and sunny uh, West Hollywood. Uh, Excited to have you all joining us uh, for this uh, awesome episode. Uh, So a little couple of things, a couple of pieces of news uh, since this podcast is sponsored by Zen Sports. Uh, you may or may not have seen it. Hopefully hopefully you did, but Zen Sports uh, was featured in the Wall Street Journal last week. So if you did not have a chance to check that out, just go Google uh, Wall Street Journal and Zen Sports. It was a really awesome article about our up and coming uh, foray into the Nevada market, uh, which also is a, a cool piece of news. We are very close to finalizing our gaming license in Nevada, and uh, we are hoping uh, we should have that license in the next two, two and a half weeks. Um, and then hopefully we are uh, operating there uh, next month. Uh, very exciting stuff. Good times for us as a fast growing startup, uh, as a fast growing sports betting uh, startup, and uh, just very excited for all that. Uh, I think the only bad thing was my Brewers didn't uh, my Brewers didn't uh, sweep the Giants or even win the series for that matter like they should have this weekend. They had a bunch of stupid fielding and base running gaps, but whatever. Nonetheless, uh, I'm still high off the Bucks championship win, so I don't care. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, with all of that out of the way, I am excited to uh, welcome our uh, podcast episode guest for the t- for today. He is the chief content officer and chief revenue officer at Playmaker, um, and uh, he's uh, he's really awesome and excited. He also does some cool things with Blue Wire Podcast. I'd like to welcome to the podcast here on the Ball and Chain. Uh, David Woodley. Welcome, David. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. I'm uh, quite jealous that you're, uh, you have, well, I mean, congrats on having a team that wins a championship, but uh, I'm on sort of the opposite side of it. I'm a, I'm a Minnesota fan. So uh, as you know, it's been a long, long time since, uh, since any of our teams have done we get close, but, but we, I, I, it's been 30 years now since any of our teams have even like made a championship. Uh, so I don't even know what I'm getting at, but, uh, yeah, no, congrats, <laughs> congrats on the box. You know, Thank I mean, you. It, I, that would never happen to the, you know, the Timberwolves have had like two or three good teams my lifetime. And of course, like when that happens, it's not one of those like years where everything just comes together and like the seas part and a, a team that isn't a super team can actually win it. Um, right. Not that the Bucks, you know, it, it, it was, it was a fun NBA playoffs though. You know I mean? I, uh, I'm a Brooklyn Nets season ticket holder. Not, not, oh, really wow. a not a big fan of them or whatever, just, just, you know, live in the area. Uh, but it's crazy to think that like, you know, the, the Bucks don't win that championship. If Kevin Durant's like foot is like not three or four inches back. I mean, that's just sort of the fun and crazy part of sports, you know, and it's yeah, entire narrative. Huh. Hundred percent, and so a couple of things there, lots to unpack. So yeah, I'm originally from Wisconsin. This does go to a lot of folks uh, that I know in Wisconsin. So they'll probably uh, be having a big smile on their face as you talk about your uh, struggles as a Minnesota sports fan. But that's okay. Uh, we're we're happy to have you on the podcast, and uh, uh, I hope neither of us will hold it against each other on that end. Um, but uh, what's kind of cool is, well, first of all, what you said. Um, you know, there's there's definitely an element of luck uh, that you have to have. I mean, the whole, the majority of it's not luck, but you have to have a little bit of luck here and there along the way, in my opinion, to win any kind of title. Uh, I mean, you just do, right? I mean, even Tom Brady, you know, some of his Super Bowl wins have had to have some luck. I mean, you just can't have everything fall into place exactly uh, as you would want it to along the way. Um, And I just have a couple of things to say about that. So as I've talked about in the pod before, I've been a Bucks fan since 88. And normally we also 
except for a couple of Super Bowl wins, obviously, that the Packers have had, say the same thing that you've said with regards to, you know, our teams always let us down at the last second. You know, they, you know, they get really far, but they don't quite finish the deal. And so to have a team, uh, to have one of our teams, you know, go all the way, uh, and especially when I don't think they were predicted to, and especially like all the hurdles they had to overcome with, you know, being down 2-0 against uh, Brooklyn, being down 3-2, winning a game seven, having the toe on the line like Durant did, not scoring for the first three minutes and 45 seconds of overtime in game seven, uh, find a way to win that, have Giannis have that gruesome knee injury against the Hawks, find a way to have him, uh, find a way to win that series without him the rest of the way, and then be down 2-0 to the Suns and come back and win that series and that just absolutely amazing game five. And then I actually went to game six. Uh, oh, so I had that. Nice. Yeah. So I had that cherry on top of it too. So I I, I appreciate you saying all this because, and I think this is something that's always lost on uh, maybe non-sports fans is how much energy and dedication and blood, sweat and tears go into following a team and how devastating it really is when they let you down and then how euphoric it is when they come through. It's just, there's nothing, there's nothing like it at all. Yeah, no, uh, no. And it, 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 it's cool. I mean, I think that's sort of the beauty of, of sports. And at the end of the day, like, you, you, you know, you're very passionate about it. You know, you, the highs and the lows, but, but at the end of the day, it's not like life or death. So it is fun right. to get so passionate and even excited and, and upset about something that ultimately, you know, do, and, and this is like where non-sports fans like sort of don't get it. They're like, what, what do you, how can you possibly be upset about this? I think it helps like keep everything else sort of even flow at least it does for me like i don't i don't get upset on day-to-day life stuff or work stuff i'll get but i'll, I'll get like an extremely uh in the moment like very upset or euphoric uh you know depending on like the end of a, a vikings game and, and usually it's on the um non-euphoric side of things and in my journey as a sports fan it was sort of the opposite like you know you a lot of bad things happen and something great happens but like i I was six years old when the twins won it in 91. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, I was actually at game seven. So that, that, wow. like, sort of yeah, that sort of got me hooked early. And it's like, that is, um, I've had great sports memories since then, but I always laugh that it's sort of like peaked then. And it's just been a uh, slow uh, downhill uh, crawl or tumble or, or whatever since then. Right. But that, you know, again, I, I think, I think the, um, the misery sports can can be fun and it's it's actually fun to look back on sort of the the bad moments and the crappy moments because you can sort of like live through it and, and at the moment it sucks but like you know all the vikings and their their missed field goals and and stuff and a small antidote on that is i uh i actually i had to have a emergency brain surgery this this december oh yeah i had like 24 hours notice so i had to get checked into the hotel and or not the hotel sorry the hospital and I was like, oh, like they were like, oh, we'll have you coming around like four or five. And I was like, oh, at least to be able to watch the Vikings game. But but uh, they had me coming earlier, and so I was like watching the Vikings game on the Direct TV app. Uh, great great plug for the Direct TV app you can watch on your mobile phone. Um, <laughs> and I was in the hospital there, and they were Gosh. playing the Bucks. They were playing the Bucks, and it was just nice to like not have my mind on uh, you know the, the pretty gnarly surgery ahead of me. And it was the game where Dan Bailey missed like four kicks. I think it was like two field goals, like two extra points. And I remember just being like this moment of Zen. I was like, Oh, well, if I don't make it through the surgery, at least like the, my last moment of, as a Vikings fan was very familiar. And I was just like, well, no, actually I will probably pull through it because like, there's just this like torture that's going to go on for another like 30 years of like the Viking <laughs> kickers, just, just ruining everything and, and, and all that. And it's, yeah, again, it's fun to look back on then. Like it, it's more fun to look back on 
on the successes and like, you know, even the storyline to go around it again, like if Durant's foot is a few inches more, you know, further back then, you know, One inch first, further back. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and, you know, Giannis is this great athlete, you know, he's, he's amazing or whatever, but the narrative all of a sudden for Milwaukee is like this, this off season, it's not all like hunky dory. They're like, Oh crap. How do we actually give Giannis a winner? He's probably going to be a little, you know, he would be not super content. Like they'd be figuring out who to trade, who to bring in and everything. But now you're sitting in a space where like they're in, they're obviously the world champs. Like people want to go there and play like, you know, they're pumped all come back. And again, it's like something that's small um changes careers and, and oh. trajectories like coaches get fired over stuff like that oh over- bud was bud was for yeah. sure fired if he didn't win that series yeah. fact, he was he was fired if he didn't make the finals uh there's no no doubt about that it was finals or bust if they had lost the suns he wouldn't have gotten fired um but they had to make the finals and he was absolutely a billion percent uh fired if 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 they had lost the nets and what's so crazy so you know i stuck around for a couple of days to watch the parade and my most favorite moment of the parade was um, the first uh, caravan that had the uh, the current Bucks players and coaches was with him on. There were like five or six different buses or whatever it was. And the first one was him at the front of the bus, smiling, so happy. You could just see there was this huge weight lifted off his shoulder because he knew, you know, now he's got, he's, he'll always be branded as a champion. Uh, and actually, I think he coached a really good finals. I actually think he did a good job in the in the series against the Suns um and you know he's obviously not gonna get fired anytime soon yeah. um and so I mean you're right I mean one inch further for Durant that it wouldn't have changed the trajectory trajectory of the the shot I mean it still would have gone in um you know 99.9 yeah. percent likely so you're right and there was one tenth of a second left and there's no way we were going to score um and so it's it is it is crazy and same thing you can even say about you know to some degree Brady with um you know, uh, uh, with all the uh, uh, kicks that uh, Vinatieri made, right? I mean, what if Vinatieri, you know, misses one of those? Um, and they, especially the first one, what if he doesn't win the one against the Rams and then, you know, becomes that much harder? And now, now they can play loose, right? I mean, they'll still have a target on their back, but they'll play loose and they'll play confident because they've already won that and they've put that behind their belt. Um, but it job is so, security. yeah. <laughs> job security is a hell of a thing, man. No, yeah. And, and plus just the players. I mean, they, they don't have to prove anything. I mean, they do. I mean, they want to go out and repeat, but I mean, you know, theoretically it's not like, you know, I mean, if they didn't win it, it's not like, Oh gosh, you know, the world's falling apart. I mean, they brought me all that I could hope for. Um, hopefully they do win another one or two, but, uh, but yeah. And so I think the other thing that's interesting about what you said is also, you know, like when you went to game seven of the twins in 91, you think, Oh, this is easy. I'll be back. You know? And I, I, I started following the Packers in 92 and they won the Super Bowl in 96. And that wasn't right in the first year or two, but it was early enough that I'm like, ah, it's going to be easy. And then they went back the next year. I'm like, yeah, this is going to happen every year. This is going to be routine. And of course they lost that Super Bowl. And then you start to go and have some doubt in your head and go, Oh, wow. Maybe this isn't how it always is. Wow. Maybe we aren't always going to be the best team. Um, and of course they've only won one since that time. Uh, so I mean, it's, it's really, it's such, it is such a roller coaster as a sports fan, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm sure you wouldn't either. No, I mean, that that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. And, you know, you're just like the longer the wait, like the better it is. I, I don't, I hope I don't, well, I'll be dead if we go on a Chicago Cubs or Boston Red Sox style, uh, <laughs> style, style, uh, you know, drought. drought. Yeah. Um, but no, it's cool. And like, you know, you enjoy, you enjoy the little moments and, and stuff in it too. And right. you take it away and like, you know, the old, the older you get, the more you appreciate it and all that, but no, it's, it's great. So no, uh, no, congrats, man. And, and enjoy you. it. Uh, you know, I, I don't 
wish you any luck with the Packers this year. I was, <laughs> I was really hoping I was, you know, I still hold out hope that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, um, demands a trade. <laughs> I, well, I think he's, I, you know, he's obviously playing this year, but yeah. like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to call him petty, but he has this, you can tell he, he's not happy there right now. And I, no. of course, well, this, he, will never, this will never work out the way I want because he'll, they'll probably go and win like 14 games when the Super Bowl and he'll play another three season retire. But <laughs> I'm really hoping the way it sets up is like he, like he gets, he opts out at the end of next year. I hope he comes to the Vikings just to like prove a point, but it will <laughs> never, it will never happen that well, way. Yeah, he's gone after this year as much as it dismays me to say. I mean, so they lopped off the last year of his contract in 2023. Um, so he would have one more year with the Packers in 2022, but they'll they'll work out a trade. They're not going to trade him to the Vikings. I I would, if I'm a betting man, which I am obviously as a as a owner of a sports betting yeah. product, uh, I'm I would almost bet all of it that he will go to the Raiders. Um, because his girlfriend wants to be on the West yeah. Coast. Uh, both LA teams already have a quarterback. He's not going there. I don't think the Packers would trade him with the Niners either because they're in the same conference. Raiders are obviously a different conference. Um, they would need a quarterback. Um, uh, I still think they do. Uh, you know, uh, Rodgers would be fine with that. It's a 35-minute plane ride to LA. Um, you know, Gruden is, a you know, obviously a very experienced coach. So I think for a lot of reasons, I think that's where he ends up. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it would be good for the NFL. Uh for sure. And like, honestly, as a, I'll take it. I would take it as a, as a silver medal for the Vikings just to get them, get them out of the division. Well, and, and... For my take, if, if they win the Super Bowl this year, just, just trade him, make him happy. He's done everything he could do. He'll won two Super Bowls with the Packers. Um, you know, it's something obviously even Favre didn't do. Um, you know, he deserves it at that point. So let him have what he wants. If he doesn't win the Super Bowl, then, I mean, they're still going to do it, but then I'll be like, nah, you know, dude, I mean, and all these years you won one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but see, <laughs> that's, see, that's what I, I you know, I, oh, I, I'm not going to get into it, but that's like the whole thing. It's like I would kill for one Super Bowl, and a lot of people would, yeah. and it's just, it's funny. And like, honestly, yeah, but I, he's like a top 10 to 15 quarterback of all time. Yeah, but you there's know, a it, difference. It's tough. It's tough to win too, though. I mean, it's like look at the history of the quarterbacks that have won two. I mean, it's like my uh, my folks, my my family lives in in Seattle, so I've sort of adopted them as a, a number two. And it's like you know, I remember vividly watching uh, them throw that interception, that backbreaking, like the worst play call in the history of the NFL. Right. And everyone's like, oh yeah, but you know, they're young, their core is still there, they'll be back. And it's like it's hard to make the Super Bowls really hard to win it and like the Seahawks really haven't sniffed it again and like they have about a two-year window here where they can maybe get back but I I don't know you know it's it's it's, it's tough so I mean and Wilson I'm not, not top 15 of all time but you know he's a he, he's he's in the last like 20 years or 10 years so, he's yeah. definitely one of the best five year in and, and year sure. out and all that but anyways yeah I mean it's it's good you know it's um it, it's fun it's it's the, it's the fun part of sports I think the pandemic made people realize that even more yeah. I um, totally agree. Like it really, um, you know, uh, made us miss the little things and made us miss sports. And uh, the good news is that we barely miss any time with sports really basically just for a couple of months there. Um, like I know us, you know, on the sports betting side, there was really only about six weeks where we didn't take any bets, but soccer was back May of last year. People forget that UFC was back May of last year. I mean, uh, football, uh, basketball was back in July. Baseball was back in July. Uh, football started on time. Uh, there were obviously no fans. Um, but I, I, that's the last thing I'll say, we'll move on to your background here is that 
I am so happy there's fans. It changes everything. I mean, that experience going to game six was electric. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just so happy that, you know, um, you know, life is getting back to normal. Yes. We've got, you know, the Delta and hopefully we'll see that peak here very, very soon. Uh, but I mean, by and large, you know, and, 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 and for those that don't have maybe, you know, back to normal, because maybe they're not going to the office or whatever, like they, they know what they want to do. Like maybe they've moved somewhere else and they're happy or whatever it might be. Right. Um, the bottom line is I think people are a lot happier now than they were 15, 18 months ago. So, so that's a good thing. So yeah, let's get into, let's get into your yeah. background and, and all the amazing things that you've been doing uh, in the sports industry. So uh, you're currently, as I mentioned at the top, the chief content officer and chief revenue officer at Playmaker. So why don't, uh, to kick things off here, you start off with uh, what is Playmaker, what do they do, and what you do for them? Yeah, for sure. So Playmaker's been around uh, a couple of years now, but it's really uh, it's really taken off really in the last probably like nine to, nine to 12 months. Uh, so I got introduced to them through a sort of not a mutual friend, but, but someone I just sort of talk shop with a bit and, and all that. And uh, I, I met them. Anyways, how I met them, I'll, I'll cover that. Then I'll go into what they do. I met them back in January uh, and it ended up investing a bit of money with them. And then um, I, I was lucky enough to come out of a, a company where we just had a su- successful exit. So it opened up my options a bit and I, I came on board with these guys full time a few months later. But uh, so yeah, what Playmaker is, it's a, it's four parts. Um, the first part is a media company. Um, so we create a ton of content for an 18 to 34 year old audience. Really the, the core sweet spot is 21 to 29. Uh, we create it where we know they're looking for it. Uh, so we're very strong on Instagram with 15 million plus followers. Uh, we have live right now, I think 10 uh, Snap series uh, on their Discover platform which is, you know, you have to create pilots for and get approved and all that good stuff. Uh, we're large on TikTok and Facebook and uh, to a lesser extent, YouTube as well. Um, so, you know, we're, we're telling stories, uh, you know, we're, we're getting conversations started, you know, sharing memes, uh, you know, creating content series around, uh, you know, some of the players we work with, like Tyreek Hill and, and Nate Robinson. Um, do an original series like this day in sports, which is, which covers exactly what it, what it sort of says. It covers sort of the bigger stories in sports at the moment. Uh, we're, we have a new one coming out called like got beef, which is exploring the biggest rivalries in sports. Um, we do a lot of UGC uh, roundups. We have a series called athlete luxuries, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous, uh, but for athletes, uh, you know, in, in a format, that the younger uh, generation can appreciate in a three to four minute long um, format instead of a 30 to 40 minute one. So strong in media, you know, we have a, we have a very uh, large and, and loyal following out there amongst our content. Uh, second piece of the company is talent. Um, to date, we represent 30 plus uh, pro athletes. Um, a lot of them are ex NBA players or retired NBA players. And then uh, the other half are current NFL players. Uh, a couple of names note, uh, Nate Robinson, Xavier uh, mm-hmm. Howard, who led the NFL in interceptions last year. Uh, we got Carlos Boozer, Mario Chalmers, um, quite a few more. And then more recently of note, uh, we opened our NIL uh, side of things. And we actually have the most uh, college athletes under management of, I think, anyone out there. And we got about 45 college players to date, um, all of which are in the top 50 to a hundred in their own sport. Uh, so it's not a quantity over quality uh, thing. It's definitely quality over, over quantity for us. And uh, what we do with those athletes is 
we handle all their marketing deals, their endorsement deals. We create content around them. Uh, we, we help them with their quote unquote social brands and all that. And then we also do merch lines with, with quite a few as well. So we design merch for them. We sell merch for them. Uh, and, and that's particularly really cool on the uh, college athlete side, right? You know, you, the landmark NIL ruling uh, July 1st, uh, you know, for people that maybe for the five people listening to podcasts that haven't heard of this, uh, it, it made it so college athletes long overdue, by the way, can now, you know, make money off their likeness and, and everything there. So one of the first things we did with some of our players is we created merchandise for them, which they're able to now go sell with their likeness on it, sell it to their fans on, on their social media platform, sell it to the fans from the universities. And it's, it's really cool. Um, and you think back to, you know, when we were in college, like, man, it'd be pretty sweet to have people <laughs> wearing t-shirts with your face on them and likeness and all that, all that good stuff and everything there as well. But, uh, so yeah, so you got media, talent, uh, merch, which I just sort of covered. Uh, we're, we're a large merch company as well. So we, we work with a bunch of athletes to create merchandise and we have our own, you know, we have our own brand playmaker. Um, we sell about a million dollars worth of merch just with the playmaker brand on it, uh, which is, which is tough to do, but, but we're really good at that. And I think it shows, you know, what our, uh, what our, what our fans uh, think of us. And then the fourth piece, which is getting ramped up right now is events, uh, where we're getting into the live event space um, in sports and also, uh, music as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun company. That's awesome. So when you say you do this for athletes, is it because they have been contracted with various brands, influencers, and now you're helping them fulfill whatever promises that they have as part of their contract, or how does that relationship with the athletes work? No, I mean, we're the, we're the ones going out there and getting those, those endorsements, um, anything off, off the court, right? So like, if you're, we don't, we don't do the shoe deals yet, unfortunately, because those are very, very juicy. But um, like you don't do the what deals like the shoe deals. OK, gotcha. Like so, I mean, the 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 shoe deals typically come in through like, you know, their contract agents and all that, like right. you're with CAA or Wasserman and, and all that. Um, but, you know, if you're um, if, if you're working with them, anything off off the court, that's us. So we're, we're finding those endorsement deals. We're activating on them. Um, you know, whether that's something as simple as appearances or, or social media posts or, you know, it's, it's all or if it's part of like a brand of content series where we're doing that for them. And then, uh, yeah, we're also building the merch lines and, and everything there as well. So um, we, we have a guy that handles that name, Polo Kerber, who's um, awesome. <laughs> he's he's really good friends with a lot of these athletes now. He's very uh, relatable to a lot of them. Uh, so he he deals that day to day. And I mean, we have we've had like another 250 college athletes reach out to us, uh, want us to represent them, but we're sort of going through it one by one to make sure that we're able to bring in deals for them. Like they're, right. they're sort of marketable enough for it. Cause we don't want to, we don't want to waste their time and anything like that as well. So, you know, we're not, we're not really in the business of going out and finding athletes like hundred dollars and $50 deals. Like we're, we're really about going and finding them where each deal they, they do, they get, you know, between like 10 K and 50 K in their pocket, uh, for it. Right. And so big brands come to you, whether it be sports leagues or merchandising brands um, or media partners saying, hey, you know, we want to increase our, you know, online sports content and influencer presence. You sign a deal with those uh, companies and then you've got the inventory of athletes and other content providers to deliver on uh, those content um, requirements. Is that correct? Yeah. On like the athlete side. Right. I mean, we just, we just did some stuff with Walmart with some of our guys, like doing some stuff with Popeyes right now with some of our guys, like lots of car dealerships. And 
I mean, it, it really runs the gauntlet. Like we're doing something with, um, you'll find interesting uh, since you're, you're in the space. Like we're obviously you can't do anything betting wise with current athletes and you especially can't do it with college athletes. Mm-hmm. betting wise. But you know, again, we have like Nate Robinson, we have Martin, former athletes. Yeah. You can do stuff with them. And like, we're, uh, so we're partners with, um, with Circa right now, Circa sports. And I'm, I'm actually sitting in Circa hotel right now, looking down at the stadium swim and all the, all the games they have on right now. It's nice. uh, a nice plug to one of our, uh, sponsors. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, we're, we're helping them promote, uh, their $10 million worth of, you know, they have a survivor contract for 6 million and they have like their NFL yep. five against the spread game and then you know they they do a party every saturday night for people that come in and enter nine uh nine entries which is uh you know it's, it's a lot um right. and we we have nate robinson coming in next weekend we have uh or this weekend and we have mario chalmers coming in this weekend and they're going to like the pool party where they're having all the entry you know entrance hang out there like you know nate's gonna hang out with people do some videos live from it like he's doing some posts on his channel um so yeah like that i think that's a good example of like a, a betting one that we're doing but that also goes across like our our channel as well like the playmaker brand and, and everything there too so we were able to hit the market with quite a few different pitches there so you know some people just want the reach and we run them on our channels and other people want you know the players and the influencers and then we we do the stuff directly there but then um i think where we have a bit of a competitive advantage is like we're able to like combine those together and it becomes this really cool um 2021-esque like media company essentially Right. Yeah. It feels like a really next generation media company. So many years ago, well, was like 15, 14, 15 years ago, I used to own an executive recruiting agency and we had like organic and McCann Erickson yeah. um, and I think publicists as clients. Right. So I got a taste of like the old school media uh, kind of world. And so would you consider yourselves as direct competitors to those really old kind of uh, advertising agency brands? Uh, do you work in concert with them or partner with them on any types of things? How does that, how do you fit into the ecosystem of kind of the advertising marketing world uh, compared to kind of the old guard that's out there? No, I mean, we, we work well with them. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to do that. We're not trying to like, we work with a lot of brands directly, but we work with a lot of the agencies directly um, as well. Like we're, we're, you know, to, not to simplify everything, but if you look at it, it's traditionally the agency is on one side and like the publishers on the other side and like the brand is sort of in between, but going through the agency. So we, we definitely fit on that like publisher side, uh, you know, sort of think back to it. But to your point, like, yeah, things are a lot, a lot more different now, right? Like it used to be just the agency would place all the media. Um, but now it's like, you know, how, how, how does like an agency even handle that? Like what is media these days, right? Like you have your websites and then you have like, your social media stuff. And then all of a sudden like TikTok pops out of nowhere and the brands want to be on that. But you know, how, how does that agency become experts in that? And then, Oh, lo and behold, there's a million athletes out there that are suddenly like great, you know, influencers. Um, now I, I worked at like blip and maker studios back in like the, when the MCNs were like popping off. Right. And like, that was, you know, that was sort of the big thing then like quote unquote influencers. And that was all, all new to it and all that as well. So no, we, uh, no, we, we play nice. I mean, we play very well and complimentary to the agencies. And, um, you know, I think they like us too, because we're able to provide a lot of insights and provide them a lot of, you know, talent that's in house and really make their lives easier. And I think, I think that's, that's what I try to do in, in my job today is like make our partners lives easier because, um, you know, everyone likes that. No one wants to work extra hard and like, you know, you know, from the agency side, like a lot of the times that people 
managing a $10 million budget for a big brand is some, um, you know, some 23 year old, 24 year old fresh out of college that's overworked and underpaid. And when you can make their life a little bit easier, um, you right. know, it, it's win, win, win. And, you know, you develop those relationships for the last 10, 15 years and it, it's fun. Like you find yourself in a C-level position and, you know, they're, they're in a C-level position now and, and all that as well. So that's sort of been my, my personal ethos for a long time. And then, you know, as a company, that's ours too. Like we really try to solve, uh, you know, the problems at this, mm-hmm. at this point. So one question I have that I, I have to say feels like it would be a challenge, but I'm curious to get your thoughts since this is, you know, your world is, you know, the algorithms that social media uh, has have implemented and changed over time to really kind of downrank um, influencer posts. Um, I mean, you see it on Twitter, you see it on LinkedIn uh, and Instagram and other channels where, you know, um, an influencer or somebody that has like half a million Twitter followers, normally if they tweet something out, you know, they're getting 500 to a thousand likes and a ton of retweets. They post, you know, a podcast episode that they did and there's like 15 likes. So they're clearly promoting some content of theirs that's outside of the platform. And the platforms have just gotten so good at downranking those items. So how do you get around um, the algorithms being really clever and so good at detecting, you know, when something is a promotion or when something is, you know, uh, kind of an influencer post versus, you know, truly organic, you know, just real world posts that somebody makes, you know, in their everyday lives uh, on social media? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it too is like I think the audience on these platforms are very smart as, as well, and I think um, you know I still like to consider myself young, but I'm in my mid 30s. But like you know, I'm, I'm like I'm like it's like you know, okay, boomer to me, right? Like on a lot of a lot of the stuff, like the you know the Gen Z or whatever buzzword you want to call them, right? They're sharp, man, and they they can uh, you know part of my French, they can sniff through the bullshit. Yeah. you know, pretty quickly and all that. So I, I think part of it is just like, they, they don't want to be like tricked into finding something that's like a promotion. Like, I think they would rather be told that like, Hey, like I'm promoting this, but this is helping bring this sort of to life. Um, but yeah, on the sort of on the, on the bigger question there about like the social media networks um, companies themselves. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's always going to be a bit of a, a cat and mouse game, right? Like you're going to have to learn quickly and adjust on the fly and, Ultimately, they're not doing that to like hurt the creators. They're doing it to like help the, um, you know, to keep the audience around, to provide value to the consumers. Because, you know, the minute something is algorithm is hacked, if it ever can be hacked, then everyone jumps on and everyone like thinks they figured it out. And like you just get fed a bunch of crap content, which which nobody likes. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's cheesy. It is like, you know, you just got to stay adaptive and keep it as, as organic as possible. You know, we also um have really good relationships with with all these with all these platforms and again none of them are going to be like this is the secret to unlock everything and get a billion likes and comments and views on something because they don't know it either because if they did they would yeah. be retired by now because they just consult for people and right. or make their own videos and make a million bucks per video but you know when you work closely with with the you know with the companies themselves uh, they help you out. Like they, they will tell you what, you know, what they think is working, what isn't, and, you know, like give you advice. And I think one thing we've done very well at Playmaker is like, we're, we don't consider ourselves experts or know-it-alls or anything like that. Like we will try a lot of things, but we also pull the plug on a lot of things very quickly. And, you know, nobody, nobody's blamed, you know, we don't feel bad about it, you know, stuff like that. And when we work with like a partner, like a snap or like an Instagram or Facebook, and they give us real-time feedback, 
we don't try to push back or be like, well, no, you're wrong. It's we're the one. <laughs> this is the content that it everyone might be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, and, and they'll, they'll tell you that too. They're like, you guys ultimately can do what you want. Like, you know, and it's tough. And we're like, no, we, we have no, there's no sacred cows here. But like, you know, we're not going to keep putting content out. That's, that's not working. That doesn't make sense for, for anyone involved. Like we're not going to push baseball and I love baseball. We're not going to push like baseball content out to our audience because like our audience just doesn't care about it. Like nobody under the age of like, 45 like cares about baseball and yeah i gotta stop you right there i gotta ask that question so i'm a diehard brewers fan been so since 87 i'm in that age category i'm 43 years old so i I gotta i gotta ask if if you have any more specific insights on this um i'm i'm very 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 nervous and concerned for baseball i feel like they have absolutely no share of the under 35 generation uh that they uh, they're not gaining any of them. They're only losing them. And while there have been reports that they are gaining share among women uh, audience members uh, or, you know, uh, they're women fans that are joining and following baseball. What does baseball do to repair its kind of quote unquote old school boys club, white male over the age of 45 image um, among the younger generations to to turn that around. So it is as cool as basketball and football uh, and soccer and other sports, because I'm, I, I, like I said, as a fan of baseball for 34 years, I'm very concerned. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm, I'm a, I'm a diehard fan. I like, I'll, I'll watch baseball. Not every night now with, with the kid and everything, but, um, and the twins are terrible now too. I, you know, I, I, it's not one, it's not one thing. And I think the problem is, is baseball they, they keep trying to like find one thing that's going to fix everything and it, it never exists i mean one of the things they talk about I, I was down in like it was ces like last time it was held live so the 2020 like a couple months before the pandemic started and i was at this like betting conference and, like baseball was just so they thought they had cracked the code and they're like we're gonna do betting simulcasts and and uh again this is probably relevant to your world betting simulcast and like micro betting and stuff like this is going to get the youths super pumped about this. And it's like, ah, like you still, if you want people betting live on baseball and betting on every, you know, every event in baseball, like you're still going to have to get them to watch a three and a half hour baseball game and be invested in it. And like, if they're not, they'll just bet on something else or they won't, they won't bet at all. Like, you know, you can do that on on other sports. And it was just like, they weren't focused on, on much. And I think it starts at the top. I think, you know, the owners there, you know, the owners all make a bunch of money. They all cry poor and all that. And like baseball is the only sport that has convinced the fans that trading away your best players or not signing your best players is somehow good for the franchise. And they're like, oh, well, no, it's a great thing. We didn't sign our former MVP because, oh yeah, like he wanted 10 years, man, think of how that contract would look in eight years down the road. Like again, in a league with no salary cap, like they've somehow convinced a big segment of fans that it's good that they're not paying this guy like nine years down the road. Forget about like what that value actually is because contracts go up every year. So I think that's part of it. Like, you know, they, they've sold people on this and as much as they like to tout parody, it's, it's not really, there's not that much parody in, in, involved. There's the haves and the have nots and that's existed forever. So uh, it's, I- a, it's a slow game. I mean, it's, it's boring. I mean, it's, it's three and a half hour game. They try to like speed things up. It, the regular season's too long. You know, they have these and right now they have this incredible youth movement. You have Tatis, um, you have Soto, you have Acuna, like these guys that are like once in a generation type players that they've all come up together. They're not marketing them correctly. And then you have Otani, who 
I'm not, you know, if he stays healthy and he keeps this up, like he's not just the most maybe best, most interesting baseball player in the last 50 years. Like I would argue all of sports, he's the most interesting, relevant, biggest thing to happen in sports. Someone that can dominate like pitching and hitting, like it's, it's never been done before. Even when Babe Ruth was doing it, like the talent level disparities were so crazy different, but if they can't get people excited about him, I don't know. Like they, they need a new commissioner. They need to restructure things. I don't know if they need to go to, I think they should go to seven inning games during the regular season, shorten up the games a bit. Cause those get more exciting, but I don't know. They, they may just be too far gone at this point, but I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think the leadership in charge, um, they just need to do leadership in charge. But you know, when people have power like that, they're not going to give it up. And as long as the owners are making a bunch of money off these TV deals, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to do anything different. You're talking about a bunch of like guys in their sixties and seventies. Like they, they just, the checks are rolling in and times are good for them. But you know, those, uh, those chickens will come home to roost at, at some point, but hopefully it's not too late by then. Right. So uh, first of all, I agree with you. New commissioner Manfred is terrible. Um, the reality is, is uh, as a, as a lawyer, um, he's just, he's not a fan of the game. I mean, when you make comments like, you know, the world series trophy is just a piece of metal. Um, you know, when you are creating asinine rules left and right, that really aren't doing anything to speed up the game. Um, he really doesn't like the game and I'm sorry, but leadership matters when you're head of, or the face of the sport, um, from a leadership perspective or front office perspective is clearly has some kind of disdain for how things are done. I mean, that's just, that's just, it just sends a bad message. Everyone else is going to feel the same way, et cetera. But I do believe, I do actually believe there are two rule changes that would actually make better. I know they didn't talk about a lot, but I, I'll tell you why I think they would matter. I do believe a, a pitch clock and I do believe um, automating the strike zone would yeah. go a long way. And I, there's two, re- there's, there's a reason why. I think that a, a pitch clock absolutely would bring the game down to about two and a half hours. Um, right now, I think the average game is 305 or 310, whatever. That's a big difference, big, big difference. Bring it down to 230 or maybe even 220 with the pitch clock and, and be, be, be merciless with it. Do not, I mean, you don't waver on it. Don't like be like, okay, you've got a few extra seconds. No, it's you either um, get into the windup within 15 seconds uh, or even 12 seconds, or that's it. It's a ball. Um, and, and that's one. And then automating the strike zone, because here's part, the reason for automating the strike zone is, yeah, I mean, I get the fact that it's, you know, maybe you like the human error or whatever. The, the reality is, is you see the little box and diagram right above the freaking plate on every pitch right now on every single broadcast. Uh, you know, a, an old grandma can see if a pitch is a strike or not. And and so, again, this is a little bit the same thing as the Manfred comment. It a little bit flies in the face of the fans that everyone else can see what the hell is going on except the one person that's making the call. And it's like, you know, fine. If they get a holding call wrong in football, that's annoying or even a pass interference call, but every single pitch is clear as day what it is or not. And so for that to, to still be based on human error, I just, I think it it, it slaps in the face of the tech first, you know, millennial and Gen Z generations. Like they are tech first generations and they see it right there in front of their face. And they're like, why are you calling that a ball? It was clearly a strike or vice versa. So that I think it actually from a credibility standpoint would help a lot, but at least, at least get to a freaking pitch clock here and move this thing along. This is like NBA before the shot clock here. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. And I don't know. It's just like, there's you're like, Oh, I like the players don't want it. And it's like, well, yeah, you get the posturing stuff, like the union versus the league and all that crap. Just like, just do it. Like nobody's going to, 
everybody's going to complain. Like, just take like eight games off the schedule and give the players a break. But they don't want to take games off the schedule too because then you know it's less, you know, less fans in the stands and and, and all that. So I don't know. I mean, I someday someone will figure it out, and someday I mean the 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 NBA owner or sorry the MLB owners club is a very tight knit group too. I mean, that's the other problem too. It's like it's the definition of the old boys club. Yeah. And you know, they didn't, I'm not like the biggest Cuban fan from an ownership perspective, but like when they froze him out of the MLB, like numerous times, you're just like, it's just annoying. Cause they're like, right. yeah, they're like, he's, he's gonna be too radical for the game. He's actually gonna go spend money in a market that hasn't spent money traditionally. And you're kind of like, well, this is, this is never going to change. And, you know, I think it, like as a twins fan and, I mean, honestly, as a sports fan, you should hate your owners like 90% of the time anyways, just by nature. But um, We don't have to worry about yeah, us Packers yeah. fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you only have <laughs> those pieces of paper that are worthless. But, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, just, it's not going to change. And like, is it, you know, twins are the same crap this year. It's just on a personal antidotal note. It's just like, oh, no, it's great. It's great we traded away like the one pitcher that we've developed in the past 20 years. It's great because he actually wanted – it's fair market value and money and an extension, but it's cool. Cause you now we, we got a couple prospects back that maybe they'll help us in five years and then we can trade them in seven years and we can, you know, be going this merry ground go around again. And it's like that, that turns people off. And then it's just like the, the length of the game turns people off. It's like, good luck, you know, good luck getting a casual fan into it. And, you know, frankly, I think it's, it's hard to get people to go to a game. Now there's a lot more things that are vying for people's attention. It's, I think it was like, um, <laughs> real 180 on this one i think it was it was triple h or it was like nikon it was like one of the c-level people at wwe on their investor call they were they were asked about um the uh aew which is like the, the startup uh wrestling company by uh tony khan who's the son billionaire of the uh, jags owner and some other team fulham or whatever and they asked him they're like oh do you view them as competition he's like no we view everything as competition we view youtube sleep t- you know right tiktok everything because there's so much more things vying for you know attention out there that yeah going to a game is fun i like it but it's it's a six day or a six day sorry it's like a six hour ordeal right like at least at a basketball game you can get in and out in two and a half three hours and you know there's it's there's fast a, pace you know there's a lot of things, yeah there's a lot of things you can do in in six hours you know these days and i mean you yeah. can watch all the games it's nfl too it's like you can sit there and watch eight of the games or you can go and spend a bunch of money to go to a football game and wait, you know, pay $20 beers and stuff. And at at some point, you know, the value isn't there. And, you know, I think baseball is losing it quicker than, uh, than, than most, but, but to bring it all back, you're like, yeah, that's why we're not putting baseball highlights in front of our fans. Like they don't want to see it. Like it's, it's a younger, you know, it's younger, it's, it's diverse and they're not watching baseball. Like they're watching, you know, basketball and, and some football and, you know, and then, you know, a bunch of Twitch streamers and people doing a bunch of other cool content and, and, and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, switching gears now. So you also are an advisor to Blue Wire Podcasts. So tell us more about what that is. Obviously, podcasts are all the rage. Hell, we're on one right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what is Blue Wire Podcasts uh, and what's your involvement with them? Yeah, uh, so. Simply put, they're they're a huge collection of uh, sports podcasts. I think um, they'll probably get on me because I'm probably not saying the talking points right. But um, I think they have like 200 plus in house now. Um, 
you know, at first it was really focused around sort of the, the local micro communities, right? Like they, they had, you know, it's like get a 49ers one, get a Warriors one, get a, a Packers one, or, you know, get a Lions one and, and stuff like that. And, you know, they've had this meteor, uh, I can't even say it, meteor, however you say it, like they've been like a meteor, right? Like the rise has been, been like a meteor, um, over the past couple of years. And, you know, at first they were, they were just, you know, partnering and, and bringing on these podcasts that had, you know, these loyal sort of local followings. And as they've grown, um, into this legitimate like media powerhouse podcast powerhouse, you know, they've been able to go and, and bring on, um, big names. Like, you know, they have like Chris Long in there. They have like Megan Rapino. They did, uh, you know, a series with Ken Griffey Jr. recently, um, you know, super, they got, um, they've, they've got a few from the ringer they brought over and, and, and things like that. So, uh, simply put, they're a sports podcasting company that sort of hits any and all sort of fan base and any and all sort of sport, uh, you know, in, in, in sort of those micro communities. But, you know, once you add those all together, it's, it's a pretty large fan base. Anyways, I, I met them. I met their founder probably two and a half, three years ago. Uh, we were, and thank God it's still open, but we were opening a bar in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it opened three months before the uh, pandemic but anyway it's a sports bar up there you know it's a college town we're right near campus uh we uh, we put in a podcast booth there because you know again i'm a big believer in podcasts uh community and all that so we put it there to you know bring people by and let people start their own podcasts um and do all that stuff so i, I met the founder kevin uh you know right when he first started blue wire and i i needed advice on how to do this like even what equipment to buy like you know some basic strategies and all that that was great. You know, kept in touch with him. And then, uh, lo and behold, a, a guy walking by our bar who was the Detroit Lions beat writer for ESPN walked by and said, Hey, that, that's cool. I've always wanted to do a podcast. You know, I, I, I don't have room at my house. You know, I would love to do it here. So we started recording at ours. We built up a decent load audience. And about that time I reached back out to Kevin. I was like, Hey, um, you know, I, I'm producing this podcast. You know, I don't really have the time. I, you know, it's, it's more of a novelty for us to bring people in the bar what do you guys want to bring them into your network? Uh, they said, yes. Um, and then around that time, we just started chatting about business and I got involved there from the advisor standpoint about sort of helping them grow, you know, helping them build out a revenue team, you know, give them some advice there, you know, what, what do advertisers want? What do they look for? You know, what's important. And uh, yeah, been sort of helping them out ever, ever since, um, you know, there was a year there where I was talking to them about every week, um, you know, helping them give advice sort of across the board there. And, you know, now they're at the, the point where they're just like I said, they're they're a real powerhouse in the the podcast industry. Um, you know, the Win Casino uh, and, and Sportsbook put in a, you know three four million into them uh, about a year ago, and they have a, a live podcast booth, video booth opening at the Win here in a couple months, which is going to be pretty pretty awesome and, and everything there as well. So, um, if you haven't heard of Blue Wire, you probably listened to a few of their podcasts on their network, and uh, you know they're worth keeping an eye on. They're doing some really really good stuff in the space. Very cool. So without bringing up a competitor, but I'll do it anyways, just in case you know people don't know. So is it like, I guess, kind of similar to The Ringer or other podcast networks or Locked On or others like that? Except better, of course, I know, since it's yours. No, yeah. Well, I mean, we're the... the You're yeah. the advisor. No, uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's similar, right? I mean, I, I, I you know, I Locked On, yeah, I, I think it's kind of similar to Locked On. I think it's sort of a younger, sort of that next generation of, of podcast hosts. Um you know, you don't want to bring age into anything, right? So I, you know, because then it's like, oh, the young guys are better than the older guys. But it's that sort of different generation, right, that, that they're going after. And I think Blue Wire sort of is connecting with that 
fan that sort of grew up with blogs and grew up consuming their sports on social media and, and stuff like that. And I think that's why, you know, again, it resonates so well. That's why, frankly, it does very well with uh, advertisers because, you know, it's, it's a place to go hit, you know, an 18 to 39 year old audience uh, on, a, on, a, on a medium where it was getting harder and harder to hit them via sort of traditional radio and even some of the earlier podcasts. Um, yeah. And I think there's a bit of ringer in there too, because I think the ringer does a very good job in developing their own personalities and, and doing storytelling and, and letting people grow that way. And, and blue wire, what's been, what's been really fun to see at blue wire is yeah. You know, they've been out, been, been able to go out and like get sort of top name talent, but now they're at a phase two where they're, they're developing their own talent internally and like turning that group into the next sort of set of, you know, sort of stars. And to a lesser extent, like, you know, there's similarities there with Barstool as well. I mean, Barstool, right. um, taking everything, what, you know, bar, it, Barstool can be a very loaded word, right? Like what does Barstool even mean to, to people? It, it, it's very polarizing to a lot of people, but no matter what, where you land on that side of the fence on their content and Portnoy and all that, one of the coolest things they, they did was, you know, early on, they, they really invested heavily in, in podcasting and they gave right. a lot of people chances and you know now they've developed this talent that in some cases they, they can't even afford right i mean it's like uh call me daddy you know she got paid tens of millions of dollars by spotify yeah. right like you have um big cat and and uh you know pmt they're still at barstool but you know barstool show how big money to keep them around you know they've created these stars and everything and i think that's that's when it gets very exciting as a media company, when you're, you're sort of creating those stars and, you know, you, you look back and like, that's what, that's what ESPN and sports center were doing back in the glory days, right. When we were younger and, and watching it, you know, with, um, mm -hmm. Goldman and Dan Patrick and Craig Kilborn and, uh, you know, Stuart Scott and, you know, making them larger than life. And I, I think you have like bar stools and the blue wires now that are sort of creating and fostering that, that next generation of talent. I think what's great about podcasting is, you know, is, you don't have, it doesn't have to be your full-time job. You, you just need to find an hour or two a week to really sort of own it. And, and you sort of grow it that way. So I think it opens up the doors to a lot more people. Um, that also opens up a lot more choice to consumers. And I think that's where the other benefit of blue wire comes in. Like blue wire can sort of, if you're listening to blue wire pod, you know, it's going to be quality. So if I'm a Vikings fan, there's probably 200 Vikings podcasts out there. I don't have time to go listen to them all. I can follow like the two that the blue that blue wire has and there's a pretty good chance that i'm going to like it and even if not at least it's like quality um you know instead of trying to sort through 200 ones that maybe 30 of them are good and 170 i just don't care about right right no and i think like that's a really great point and i think you a lot of times especially on twitter uh you know where you get sometimes the uh the angry mob out there, you know, criticizing Portnoy or criticizing Barstool or whatever it might be. The reality is, is there's an audience for that stuff. Right. And, you know, I mean, your job as a company is to develop a voice and develop an audience and to tailor it towards that. And just because it's not everyone's cup of tea doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Right. And so I think like, you know, David Portnoy probably is the first one that made it cool to be a little bit more off the cuff, to be a little bit more abrasive to go after a certain demographic um, that was clearly longing for this kind of content. Um, yeah. And, and they, so they've evolved. I mean, they've, they've evolved. They, they, they know who their core audience is and, but they've evolved. I mean, they've, they've grown over time too, like more mature and um, sure. you know, try new things. They give a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of starts. And again, like not commentating on the, the, the content or whatever, because it's, it's fine not to like something because it's, it's not your cup of tea or whatever, mm -hmm. but 
I think some of the criticism they get from a business standpoint is is, is silly. Uh, they've they've Absolutely. done a lot of they've done a lot of good. And I'm not again I'm not talking from, from the content side or, or you know some of the internal issues they've had, but they've given a lot of starts. Uh, you know, and I think Portnoy is a, a great example of, of someone too, where it's like people can like him or hate him, but you know even if people don't like him, it's like you know what he did with the um, with the bars and restaurants is, is phenomenal. Like, mm-hmm. again, I'm, I'm a bar owner. Like, we felt that we felt that big, like a lot of people got killed during the pandemic and um, you know, and all that. And, you know, we're surrounded, but, but sports bars got absolutely hammered and bars and restaurants got hammered as a whole. And like during this, during the first phase, again, like, you know, people were dying and very sick and doctors were being overworked and nurses and everything and, and all that, uh, you know, and, and the focus was was rightfully there, right? And you know, there's a lot of relief efforts going on and all that too. But like for long, for the first part of it, like you know, there were industries that are sort of getting left behind, and and you know, a lot of bars and restaurants, man, it's like it's it's not a you don't get rich on it, and you certainly mm-hmm. don't get rich on it very quick. And you know, a lot of them are are it's it's passion, you know, it's it's cooks or it's bartenders that that are doing it 80, 90 hours a week that just love owning their own business and talk you know talking to people they they enjoy and coming in regulars and, and all that and i think portnoy did a great job in like shining light to this being like hey like you know everyone likes to go out and eat Every, most people like to go out and drink you know most people like to go and watch sports somewhere and you know he, he raised like a phenomenal amount of money you know himself and getting people to match it and just raising awareness um uh, around it as well and i i think that that sort of goes um to the point of like media evolution like right i mean it's like Right. Bar, I doubt Barstool thought about doing that like 15, 20 years ago when they, when they first came around and, you know, and, and you see these trajectories. And again, I bring this all back to, you know, what blue wires become in the last like two and a half, three years. At first it was just a few podcasts. Now all of a sudden it's like, you know, they're at the win. They're giving people their starts. They're able to give back, uh, you know, to their, you know, to things they're excited about or, or passionate about. And, um, and yeah. And, and again, these are like new age media companies in, in that aspect. And I, I, I think Playmaker, you know, we're, we're on that trajectory as well. We're starting to get, do some cool stuff there um, as well. So I think it's, it's these companies that really are good in media during, during this time. Like it, it's, it's for the millennial and Gen Z fan. It's not trying to do everything. It's trying to deliver them, uh, you know, content, content where they're, where they're taking it. And um, yeah, a lot of people are seeing success there. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, I don't, I, know, I, I don't know. I don't even know what the point I was I was getting at. We well, no, I, I think I, I think the <laughs> thing that's great. Well, no, I think the thing that's great is these brands are taking it beyond just their original core focus, but doing it in a way that ties it back to their brand, right? So, I mean, yeah, maybe Barstool would not have you know done that for restaurants and bars, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but now with the power of social media and, you know, you know, that can come across as an amazing feel good story. Um, so there's obviously business benefits from it too. It's not just about the, you know, the charity at the end of the day. I mean, that's exactly, you know, what I think, you know, again, the younger generations, they want to see, they want to, they want to associate themselves with brands that they believe in, not just the best product, although product matters too, um, or in this case, content matters too. So I think, I think it is really interesting how those worlds are kind of melding together um, and becoming, you know, one and the same. Uh, So, I mean, this has been just an absolutely super interesting conversation so far, David, Uh, any kind of other final things that we haven't touched on uh, that you want to wrap us up with here? No, I mean, I'd, I'd love to talk about what you guys are doing, uh, actually, in the, um, in the space. I know, uh, like, like uh, you know, I'm sitting right here in, uh, you know, Vegas right now. Um, oh, nice. 
And uh, one of the, one of the first things I, I did here at Playmaker is I uh, really drove and, and you know got the team focused on building a uh, sports betting vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in 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 the space. Um, you know, I've, I've invested in the space for a while. I've helped out sort of startups in the space for a while, and I, I felt like there was a, a lack of um, focus on sort of a, a younger, better you know, a better, not better, but better, mm-hmm. uh, you know, audience there. Right. And like, you know, you see all these sports books and they're all going after sort of the traditional people they are throwing TV ads left and right on any, every NFL game and, and all that. But I think, you know, I think Barstool hits some of them, uh, you know, that, that younger generation, but I, I really wanted us to sort of focus on that as well to be like, again, like this younger generation is smarter. You can't bullshit them you know, any, anything like that. So we created content around like infotainment, education, and then mm-hmm. storytelling that is really sort of showing people that, Hey, betting on sports, it's, it's fun. It provides value in a way that, you know, you you have skin in the game. It, it adds, you know, value to, to watch it for three hours. If you can win whatever, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, a thousand bucks, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the dollar amount there. Right. You can, you can debate it with friends on who was right, who was wrong. You know, you can study it and think that you're getting ahead of the game and, and all that. And, Really, yeah. our ethos on that is, you know, talk to people like adults, tell them that, you know, hey, like betting on sports is you're not probably going to make money on it. It's not a way to get rich quick. Like, sure, go play a 20 team parlay, but that's a really bad bankroll management choice. But, hey, you know, we'll, we'll give you some tools and we'll, we'll give you some bankroll management. We'll, we'll get you, you know, we'll, we'll create content for you with some leaders in the space where, you know, if you have a $10,000 bankroll for the year, like, Hey, wouldn't it be fun to actually make that bankroll last for 12 months and still walk away with 8,000 of it rather than lose it in, in 60 or 90 days for betting recklessly. And, uh, that, you know, again, that's resonated with some of the books out here. We're working like bet MGM and, and, uh, you know, circle, like I mentioned earlier and a, a few of the other ones that are coming on board. But what I wanted to touch on with your company is, is I, I live in, uh, you know, I, my house is in New Jersey. So I've seen mm-hmm. the room now for the past, like, really over the last like couple of years with all the innovations out there and all the sort of fun ways <coughs> to, uh, to bet with Nevada and the mobile sports books, you know, they haven't taken off as fast. And obviously that's by design. They want, they still want you to physically come into the right. book and place the bet. And even on some of the mobile things, you still have to walk into the book and physical book and get the money and walk past the 30 blackjack tables and 8,000 slots on the way out. But you know, there's not as much, there's not as many like props uh, and, and all that as well. I think, you know, compared to New Jersey, the Nevada apps leave a lot to be desired. And again, I, I know a lot of that's by design. So when I heard that you guys are getting uh, your license, first of all, congratulations. I know that's not an easy thing to do. I'm curious to see, like, you know, what, what are you guys going to be doing, uh, you know, differently and sort of more fresh, right? That you guys aren't a legacy brand. You guys are in the startup space. So I imagine you're going to be taking bit more risk there so just curious to hear like how you guys can be making yourselves a bit different than yeah uh, absolutely so first of all thank you on that yes it's been a long journey uh, to get this license we started the process uh, about 13 months ago and it's finally wrapping up now uh that's actually fast <laughs> usually it takes closer to 24 months uh to get the license in nevada uh since it is the hardest license of any jurisdiction in the world to get um i mean obviously even DraftKings and fanduel aren't even in nevada yet uh so what does that say uh and so we're very very excited that you know hey this uh kind of little engine that could start up like us is going to be playing with the big boys now um, you know, here. And so we're, we're really excited about that. Uh, so a couple of things. One is when we originally set out to do sports betting in 2018, after PASPA was repealed, 
we were starting it out purely as a peer-to-peer platform. So anybody can create and accept bets with anybody else, no need for a bookmaker. And what we really, using cryptocurrencies to streamline the funding process. But what we really found was the value add was not necessarily just peer-to-peer or just crypto. The value add was choice. And, you know, this whole conversation we've had for the past hour, uh, when you look at millennials and Gen Y and Gen Z and what they want in the products that they use is they want choice, they want control, they want flexibility, they want to choose their own adventure, um, they want to drive the ship. And so that's what we do. So we offer a traditional sports book, uh, if you want to bet against the house, but we also offer peer to peer. And within peer to peer, you can either bet with friends, or you can bet anonymously in our two sided marketplace. And then on the funding side, yes, we offer crypto and several options within that. Um, but we also offer fiat mechanisms, um, you know, debit card, credit card, wire transfers, etc. And so what we've really found is we've really branded ourselves as a platform of choice, um, but still keeping everything in a clean, simple, you know, UX and UI to, to make it easy to use. That's really how we're going to win. Now, could others come along and build those? Sure. But we believe that we've done it in the best way possible from a user experience standpoint. We believe from a branding standpoint standpoint that we are that fresher, you know, uh, more, uh, you know, uh, just just fresh choice, um, you know, for for younger betters. At the same time, still, you know, obviously appeasing to, to older betters as well. Uh, also, um, you know, we try to be a more fun brand. I don't think we go quite to the extreme that Monkey Knife Fight did, um, but we definitely are more fun and fresh um, and yeah. cool and hip than them. Now, with all that being said, for the initial V1 of our uh, gaming license in Nevada, uh, we are only doing the traditional sports book and we're only doing fiat, um, but we are going to be moving quickly to also apply to uh, have our peer-to-peer and cryptocurrency options added, hopefully uh, within three to six months. Um, so we're starting up first, just because this was the fastest uh, path to getting our application and license uh, approved. Um, and we don't want that. We didn't want that to stop us. We wanted to get in the market and get excited and get people using us. But um, soon and fast to follow, and, it, and it'll be as simple as flipping a switch. Uh, we'll be adding the crypto and peer-to-peer piece back in for them. We had been operating all of that internationally up to this point. Uh, we're pausing our international operations to be laser focused on the U.S. market. Nevada is the first state we're going into. We'll be looking to go into more states um, definitely in the coming months. Well, cool. No, I mean that's awesome, and I think I think it's um, I think it's great. I mean, I think I think. I think choice for consumers is awesome, uh, first right. of all. And like, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, I, I think that's the beauty of the, um, the sports betting space, right? I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of innovation there. And I think innovation drives other, other innovation. And even though I'm not like a fan of single game parlays, just I, more on like the responsible gaming side of things and how it sort of mm-hmm. presents itself as a, you know, it's like, might as well go buy a lottery ticket at that point, but they don't present it as such. But I, but the point I'm making is like, you know, once I, I think it was like MGM did that first. Um, and uh, who's a sponsor of ours? But um, see, I'm fair. I'm fair across the board. <laughs> um, you know, I think they, they did first. And all of a sudden, FanDuel did it. And, you know, DraftKings just announced it like two days ago as well. Um, I, I think innovation breeds innovation. I think it's like good for the industry as a whole. So I think you guys coming in and like doing things differently. I think like that's only going to help, uh, you know, the, the other sports books here and, and everything. And then, you know, hopefully like they do something new and you can learn from it or you can learn some of the stuff that like Circa is, is doing in terms of actually like, taking care of bigger betters and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and that, so I, I think it's great. I mean, I think that's cool. And it, it's, it's nice to see, you know, um, you guys, which are, you know, successful, but, but still like, on, you know, on the funding side of things, like in extremely like, you know, 
a blip on the radar compared to like, you know, the market cap of, uh, you know, some right. of these big casinos and everything. And like, you know, a lot of the people, you know, a lot of the entries entrance into this space, you know, even in New Jersey, which has like, I don't know, 16 or 17 or 18, you know, you, even the 18th rated one is still like, you know, it's, it's still a big name, right? I mean, it's, it's not just some like startup. It's a, you know, it's, 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 it's a sports book that's done like very well in, in Europe for like 20 years, right? It's all legacy. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, it, it's encouraging to see that true startups um, are, are getting into the actual sports book space now, because I think that's only going to help again, drive innovation, drive, customer choice and, and all that. And I, I think that's cool that you have like both ends of it. You have the against the house and the peer to peer, because I think that, that um, it's unique, right? Because uh, until now it's just, it's like one or the other. There's a lot of like peer to peer only stuff out there, yep. which is, which is, which is cool. Uh, but, but I think, I think that's interesting. I also like the fact that um, you have, uh, you have the, um, you have the crypto or the fiat side, because I, I think, um, it's good. I think, I think crypto, crypto is very interesting. It's very appealing to people for, for reasons and not to, not to have a negative outlook on, on, on men or, or women betters or whatever. But I think, I think when it's, when it's crypto, I think it can be more appealing to certain betters too. Um, you know, if they have a joint checking account or something like that, I'm not, I'm not encouraging people not to be open uh, with their partners or, or spouses or, or whatnot. But I, I, I see the appeal of uh, crypto. Well, I, I'll say of, this. Yeah, yeah, we don't even look at it like that. But I mean, the, the thing is, that's interesting is that- Maybe I'm just too jaded in, in mankind. <laughs> well, that's okay. So the thing is, is that I'll just quick give the four talking points here. Uh, other people have heard of this before, but I'll say it very quickly. So first of all, with traditional fiat banks hate transacting in this space. So they yeah. may decline the transactions right off the bat. So you may try to use your debit card with a perfectly legal product, and your bank says, nope, sorry, we're not processing this because we don't like dealing with this. Uh, Coinbase, for example, had the same issue for a long time. They started to work through some of those things, but it's not easy. And so crypto gets around that le legally. It gets around it legally, which is great. And the other issues are even if the bank does approve the transaction, there's huge fees to both the operator and the customer for charge for processing, you know, via credit card and debit card or wire or ACH. Um, there's a long latency and getting your money in, getting your money out. Um, and then on the operator side, there's chargeback fraud. So com uh, customers will go and, you know, uh, spend $100. Uh, let's say they lose, they get mad and they go back and charge it back with their bank. And now the operator's left trying to deal with this chargeback. Um, so crypto sells for all of those uh, use cases and does so in a legal um, safe manner. Um, and it's also much more transparent. You can actually tie wallet addresses to specific customers and see the transactions going through. Um, so there's all sorts of benefits and it's good for the consumer because they can, if they want to place a bet five, five minutes before the game and they don't have any money in their account, they can literally get the money in there instantly and place a bet. So there's all sorts of benefits. And, you know, we, of course, we're biased, but we believe it's the future of funding within the gaming industry. Uh, and over time is we have the opportunity to convince regulators of these benefits, uh, we believe we're going to, you know, unanimously win approval on these and uh, hopefully not just offer this to consumers, but also be looked at as thought leaders, you know, in the industry uh, for these types of things. So um, very excited for the future. Uh, it has to be done in stages, but that's OK. You know, we are uh, we're up for the task. I mean, we've uh, had to have a lot. We've had a lot of roadblocks put in our way up to this point and have gotten through all of them. Um, and so that'll just be another one as we get through that. Uh, but, yeah, the, this, the future is very bright um sky's the limit and yeah we can be more thrilled for sure yeah that's yeah that's cool and it is it is more secure and i think it, it's giving consumers choice at the end of the day 
too, which is probably like I was right. making a terrible example of it actually. Now that I think about it, but and it, yeah, and it, it, it's good. And I guess yeah, it it, it is. And I I think it's also like you know you look at the legal books and it's like you have to have your bank account tied into it. And it's like you know fine with that, but that, that's gonna be unappealing for a lot of people because like it you know having your bank account directly linked to something is kind of kind of it's not it's not the smartest idea in the world for a lot of reasons yeah i mean your Um, bank could honestly see the activity and shut you down like bank of america is notorious for shutting customer accounts down that are either doing gaming transactions or cryptocurrency transactions um you know like to other exchanges and yeah and you yeah and 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 i get it i get where they're coming from It's, it's it's not when they're doing it, it's nothing personal for them. It's just, you know, it's just, it's risky. Yeah, but it's a huge headache. I mean, like we actually had to deal with that with Bank of America and they're notorious for, in fact, they, they shut down the, uh, they shut down the account of one of the partners at Sequoia Capital, which is the largest VC in the world, just because he was sending money to Coinbase to buy crypto. Um, I mean, he tweeted about it. I said, welcome to the club. I mean, these old banks, they don't want anything to do with this new industry because it's a threat to them directly. And so, I mean, you know, I mean, we try to play nice with them and we do. Um, but at the same time, we do believe the future, you know, very much lies with cryptocurrency payments in this industry for sure. Yeah. And it's cool. And it, it, it's cool. And I, you know, it's proven too, because, you know, there was like nitrogen sports.eu, <laughs> you know, it's, it, that was out there for a while. Sorry not to plug a, a crypto one, but um, right. I, don't even know if I don't even know if it's up anymore, but, but no, I mean, I, I think they proved it. And this is like God, seven, eight years ago. Um, but you know, I think they, they proved it, but that was like back when the crypto was like much less, um, accessible and sort of accepted, right. Uh, you know, in, in mainstream and everything, but it, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, it, it, it's cool that you guys are doing that. Cause like nobody, nobody else is. And you know, everyone else is sort of stuck doing what, what they've been doing for like the last 20, 30, 40 years. And, um, yeah, it's, it's right. def- definitely the future there and it's, it's definitely appealing. And then it's fun. I mean, you know, it's fun to move crypto around and, and all that. And like, you know, you could place a bet on it, get it back and then trade it in the other 8,000 different coins and all that out yeah. there. We could have a whole 30 hour long conversation on, on crypto and all that, but no, anyways, it, it's cool. I mean, it, it's great. It's great to see guys in Nevada. I'll definitely be, uh, you know, following your progress more, more closely and uh, yeah, hopefully see you guys in some other States and definitely check it out next time. I'm uh, next time I'm down here. Yeah, and absolutely. And, you know, there's definitely maybe some opportunities for us to possibly work with Playmaker um, for sure on the content side. It's definitely something that we'll be looking at ramping up um, in the coming months. So we'll stay in contact that way. Um, that might be a possibility. And in the meantime, um, it was just really awesome having you on the podcast, David. Uh, this is super informative. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things that were all, I think, very interesting. And yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, appreciate it. Happy, uh, happy to join uh, any any time. So it was, it was great. Amazing. Have a great day, David. Thank you.